Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here with Andy and Steve. We're going to get into this topic today around the deconstructing of one's faith for the sake of reconstructing, especially in the circles that I'm in. Maybe it's my my age group. All I know, I've been seeing this reoccurring conversation around people who are deconstructing their faith. By definition, deconstruction is an approach to understanding the relationship between text and meaning. It's said to be originated by the philosopher Jacques Derrida from 1930 to 2004, who defined the term variously throughout his career. Yeah, so there there is a rhyme and reason for that. There is actually a connection because guys like Derrida and another key figure is Michel Foucault. And these are postmodern thinkers from France. And they were all about deconstruction uh, because, you know, the, they believe that there are these social structures, uh, institutional powers and things like that that are just accepted, that they they need to be questioned, they need to be torn down, those kinds of things. And it's really interesting. If you look at the life of Michel Foucault, you can kind of understand where he's coming from. He was a, a gay man uh, who lived a, a very kind of promiscuous life. And he also um, suffered with certain mental health conditions um, like depression and those kinds of things. And as I understand, his father was a physician and took him to a psychiatrist to quote unquote cure him of his homosexuality, those kinds of things, right? So you can kind of tell you know, where Michel Foucault gets some of his ideas, not to mention that therefore his ideas are invalid, but you can at least understand where he's coming from. So he kind of grew up with this disdain for doctors and cultural institutions that viewed him as, as somehow like out of step or weird, those kinds of things. And so and one of one of the ways in which this kind of deconstruction takes place is through text and meaning. Right, so that that's one of the uh, sort of symptoms, if you will, or that's how that gets cashed out. So there there is a bigger picture of deconstructing the social powers or one's belief systems, so on and so forth. Hey guys, as we as we talk about this idea of you know deconstructing your faith and and where people are at in their their faith journey or what's happening culturally, I think an interesting question that maybe could be a part of our conversation today is talking on this is, is, a, is an issue that I know that's in a lot of people's minds, particularly pastors, those in ministry. And that is what effect will, you know, this global social experiment that we currently are in mm. called COVID-19, you know, within this pandemic and the restrictions that have been put on us, particularly as it applies to church and just social gatherings in general, you know, you, you can't help but wonder, you know, if this deconstruction that's been taking place is going to be, you know, exasperated. Is that something, you know, that you guys have thought about? Like, because I think that's something a lot of people are wondering is what's going to happen when you can go back to church? Are you going to have a, a flood of people heading back to church or not? And already we're kind of seeing like in places like Florida where you know, churches are moving back more and more into normality that their numbers are actually pretty low mm. in comparison to what they were. In in some ways, deconstruction happens when things don't go like you expect it to. Yeah. Right. When Un things are running expectations. 
Right. So when things are running, quote unquote, smoothly or as expected, you're kind of complacent in it. Like you don't you don't question what you have because that just becomes part of your habit, those kinds of things. When you are shaken out of that comfortable place, then you have a time of reflecting on, okay, like what am I actually doing here? What is the purpose of what I'm doing? Those kinds of things. So uh, just a quick example of that. In my mid-20s, I really struggled with the question of who am I, my -hmm. identity, right? And before my first summer at Columbia Bible College, uh, after my first year there, I hadn't really questioned that seriously because I just uh, sought my identity in my friends, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just other people in general. But then that first summer, you know what happened was that was taken away from me. There was nobody around. It was one of the loneliest summers I've ever spent. And so when I was shaken out of that kind of the normal pattern of life, now I was deconstructing my identity. Who am I really? Right. All these things that I believed about myself, now I was deconstructing. That's a, that's an interesting point, Steve, because I can't help but wonder if that is similar to what happens with a lot of people that head off on like a YWAM mm. uh, experience, you know, or even a missions trip where they experience this incredible community that you know has this has this positive impact on their faith they come back and you know now they're in the grind of the everyday and i have met and counseled with so many young adults that it's in that moment that they have this crisis of faith and this deconstruction that that takes place yeah i think what i want people to really understand is that deconstruction in and of itself there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are better ways of going about it. There are healthy ways of going about it. But to both of your points, we're all going through a process or will go through a process in some capacity of our faith within, you know, religious tradition where we step back and we really look at it. Okay, why am I why am I doing this? And to me, it just sounds like a healthy reconstruction of our faith is just the renewing of your mind. It's that transforming of uh, from just emotional response to genuinely, I, be- I believe this, you know, I, 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 I don't want to use the term spiritual awakening, but for lack of a better term, there's this, you know, there, there is this awakening to what the Lord may have been trying to show you. And, I, you know, I think about my own life, what, what that looked like. For me, it, it didn't have to come off the back of something necessarily traumatic, praise God. But I know that that's what it's been for a lot of people. And so I guess that I think that's where things get really tricky in the process of going through it in a healthy way when the catalyst for deconstruction was something that was unhealthy. I love the nuance that you're putting on it because deconstruction in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, I, I mm-hmm. would say that it's an integral part of renewing your mind uh, because if you are just in that comfortable place and that's where you remained, uh, you're going to see very little growth in your spiritual journey, right? In fact, Paul tells us uh, in Romans not to be conformed to the patterns of mm-hmm. this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you think that when Paul was interacting with people at synagogues using scripture, reasoning from the scriptures, that these people had 
some deconstructing to do, right? These uh, Jewish believers, right? Now, Jesus comes into the picture. Well, is he the Messiah or not? And they had to, you know, like the Bereans, for example, they searched through Scripture to test Paul's claims. That is a, a process of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And I think what's dangerous is if you deconstruct just for the sake of deconstructing, I think that's where the real danger is. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Steve, because I, uh, I I was gonna I was gonna challenge you on that because I was gonna say I agree and yet I disagree here, mm. or I would say I think we've got to be careful about what we mean by deconstruction or deconstructing your faith and whether or not it's a good or bad thing is is actually dependent on what what's motivating or what are the commitments behind exactly. the yeah. act. And this is something I've had to think a lot about with regards to, let's just take reductionism as an example, because I think this can be helpful. Reductionism isn't necessarily a bad thing. And if you're not sure what reductionism is, it's a very simple concept. It just means to take something and to reduce it to its parts. Now, I did that all the time as a kid to figure out how the toaster worked, for example, or various other, you know, things that I would take apart and you know they never went back together the way they you know, came apart. <laughs> like but, Lego. But think, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Lego. But but what's interesting is, you know, in that deconstruction of a toaster, my my goal was to understand how the toaster worked. Right. And and you you can begin to understand then that there are commitments that are motivating these sorts of philosophies that become integral to whether or not we can say that deconstruction is either a bad thing or a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, listen, if, if the goal is to deconstruct something like a toaster is simply to destroy the toaster or is, is prefaced on the belief that all the toaster is is its parts— mm. Then you can start to understand that that this has worldview implications, and your goal is not to reconstruct a toaster so that you you know glory in in the knowledge of how the toaster works and you know and enjoying the toast that this toaster makes. And instead, the commitment is is simply just to say that well, this toaster is just metal, plastic, right, and and electricity. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and I think there is an implication of character in there too, because I've seen so many people from Bible school and, and in other places who kind of glory in deconstruction itself. Because what happens is when you start deconstructing, yeah. you are going to be made aware of certain presuppositions that you had or or things like that, right? Things that you just assumed or presupposed as you deconstruct, you're going to become more and more aware of it, right? Um, And with that, sometimes I've seen my friends who kind of use that as a way to elevate themselves. Like I'm more aware Mm. of these presuppositions than you, right? Woke. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is a type of woke. It is a type of woke. Uh, And so... In fact, uh, deconstructionism actually goes hand in hand with critical theories, like critical race theory, because that's where it actually comes from, partly. It it, it is from the philosophies of guys like Derrida and Foucault. And so that's something that I'm very careful about. When I deconstruct something, 
Um, I don't want to use my sort of whatever like new knowledge that I've gained mm. as a way to elevate myself, to glorify myself. I'm just like, okay, I, I'm made aware of this. Now, what am I going to do with this to serve other people? That's where I want to go more, or that's I, I try to like I I fail at it too, but my intention is at least okay. Now with this, whatever new knowledge that I've gained, I want to serve people. And I find that's where I've noticed a lot of issues, specifically within you know the deconstruction within the the, the church. That's where my red flag goes up is when. Someone's like, well, you can read it for yourself. It's out there. You know, you're like, okay, well, just like, just like the gospel, it's the, it's the good news. So if I have realized that Jesus Christ died for my sins and, and died so that I may have oneness with the Father, it would be super selfish of me to not go and share that with you, right? We are literally called to share that with you. But I find a lot of times... This And like I said, this is where my red flag goes up is when someone has said, man, you guys are still believing that? You guys are still, you're still on that? Like, you guys are sheeple. You guys are, like, you you guys are so wound up in this thing. And it's just like, okay, well, tell me, like, where, how, where have I gone wrong? Oh, you can read it. It's out there, man. It's out there. I'm like, where? It, it there. It's out dude, there. Dude, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta pause you real quick here, man, because uh, you lost me with sheeple. And I, <laughs> I, I was, I was working on that one. I believe what you've done is you've taken sheep and people and you've put those together and yes. you have sheeple. Yes. Dude, that is absolutely wonderful. Can we just take a moment <laughs> to reflect on that? Yes. Sheeple. That's ultimately what Jesus is saying, isn't it? You're, you're, you're sheeple. You're, you're like a sheep. Let, Listen, I mean, honestly, Troy, I, I totally agree with you. This isn't just a problem, by the way, in the church. This is a problem in a lot of our Bible colleges. Yes. Uh, Oof. When I went to when I went to Bible college, uh, there was too much deconstructing and not nearly enough constructing. Mm. I I left Bible college with a with a very tattered faith, and the book, The Case for Christ, came out. Uh, at that time, and I read that book, and I felt like felt like I didn't even need my Bible college degree. I felt like that book had done more for me uh, mm. than four years of a Bible college. Now, what's interesting, by the way, is going into master's work and even PhD work. I have not had that same feeling of deconstructing without the constructing. Because here's what I think so interesting that can happen: is knowledge can puff up. And knowledge can can really give you this kind of prideful attitude. And I, th I think you guys are getting that with the whole mm -hmm. deconstructing thing where you're like, I got this knowledge. You don't have this knowledge. And I got this, you know, I, I'm woke on this, if you will. By the way, you, Troy, you know, Steve, you, you're going to need to explain what woke is for people because most don't, under, don't understand that <laughs> term. But but my my point being with that is that... We, we, we tend to want to use that knowledge then, and, and in doing so, actually hurt people's faith and not... You know, mm -hmm. a professor can easily do this, where, where the professor spends so much time, say, for example, deconstructing the Gospels, 
that you leave Bible college, you don't you don't even know the gospels. You don't you don't even know what the gospel is. You don't even know the Jesus story. But boy, do you know Q document. Now some of you are like, <laughs> what's Q document? Well, if you've been to Bible college, oh, you're you're plenty familiar with Q document. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It is one of those cases where just a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous, right? So you've probably heard this story a number of times about this uh, professor at a Christian university telling um, these students who finished their first year of Greek that they're now they know just enough to be dangerous, right? <laughs> right. So yeah, you can yeah so. I mean, because when you finish your first year of Greek, you feel like you're, in some ways, you're like way above the rest because most Christians don't know Greek um, and you feel like you're on top of the world. Uh, but then you go into second year of Greek and you realize how little you know. It's one of those, it, what's commonly known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. When you know a little bit, your confidence goes way up, but then you study more and more, your confidence starts dropping again. You're humbled again, right? The more you study, and I think uh, Andy can testify th to this, the more you study, the more you realize just how little you know. Would you say, Andy? Well, that's hmm. right. And it's interesting because a lot of the PhD students you'll engage. And now, trust me, there's plenty out there. There's plenty of Dawkins out there, right, that are quite... I I see him as actually quite prideful in in the way that he writes and whatnot, uh, where there's not that humility yeah. of mm. of we're not sure. But at any rate, uh, most of the doctoral students I engage with and even professors are actually pretty humble people mm -hmm. uh, in that they're like, dang, like this is a whole lot more complicated <laughs> yeah. than we would like to, you know. To believe that it is, any rate, tell tell us, Troy, what what is what is woke? Essentially, woke. I mean, as much as it's kind of become like a culture term, like like just the young culture term. It's it's to be higher learned, to to have a perspective that nobody else has, and you can only have it through essentially revelation that's come through experience. Or right. sometimes not. It's an, So would you say it's an aha moment? Yeah. yeah. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? That when you deconstruct your faith and then reconstruct your faith, you, you can have multiple aha moments. Yes. Which, which, by the way, for those of you listening, I have to like try to rein Troy and Steve in on this podcast <laughs> because these two guys want to head off into critical race theory something terrible <laughs> because <laughs> because they're they've been immersed in this because we this weekend that's coming up uh, we have our literary expedition. Uh, by the way, I, I came up with a great little catchphrase we could have for these literary expeditions. Come explore ideas with us. How do you like Ooh, that, guys? Okay, that sounds. Nice. Nice. <laughs> We're gonna hand out pirate hats and. <laughs> yeah. So, if you haven't been a part of an ACLE, this is just an opportunity for us to explore ideas. We're gonna be talking about critical race theory. Uh, coming up, so so some of these terms are in that, but it does relate to what mm. we're talking about here. Uh, but but at any rate, so if you want the full, you know, <laughs> Troy Steve, uh, you know, knowledge coming in hot, dump. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're coming in hot. That's coming this weekend. Yeah. yeah. 
it's 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 cool because which by the way i should say i should say though that that event's full but we will be making the <laughs> the the video available right. <laughs> people are trying to how do i get in well you don't like actually the, the, <laughs> the cool kids club is closed for now but you can put your 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 ear to the door and listen <laughs> i'm just kidding it's it's much different than that but um yeah this it's it's cool when uh just kind of on this topic of of woke and and what it can kind of lead people to i'm reminded of one of my uh, uh, favorite portions of scripture in Jeremiah, uh, where it has to do with kind of this aha moment, this this woke moment that needed the Lord's guidance, where uh, Jeremiah 1, uh, going down to uh, 11. So the Lord is giving Jeremiah instruction, but he pauses for a moment and he says, and the word of the Lord came to me asking, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah responds, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord says, you have, you have observed correctly, said the Lord, for I am watching over my word to accomplish it. Again, the word of the Lord came to me asking, what do you see? I see a boiling pot, I replied, and it is tilting toward us from the north. Then the Lord said to me, disaster from the north will be poured out on all who live in the land, for I am about to summon all the clans and kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. If Jeremiah had gotten all caught up in the almond tree, he would have missed that the Lord was just trying to tune his ear. The Lord was just trying to tune his ear to say, okay, good, you're listening. Now, when I ask you, I can give you instruction because you're not trying to take what I have given you and just run away with it right away. Sometimes those things that the Lord is saying to me is just for me right now. It was just for me. And some of the ways I know that is when you go and you share that, you don't get the response you're expecting, or all of a sudden, there's this immediate pushback that you're not at all ready for. You say it and you're thinking like, oh, this is, this is, sounds wonderful. It's eloquent. And then people are like, well, I disagree. You're dumb. Because it's social media and people are aggressive like that. <laughs> <laughs> The depravity of human beings mm. on full display, yes. right? Um, you know, Troy, playing off of you know the passage you just talked about, uh, this this can become a real challenge in the deconstruction of not only your faith but of Scripture, can't it? Yes. And, and particularly, how do we how do we understand what the Scripture's saying? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that really loses they lose confidence that we can know mm -hmm. what Scripture's actually saying. Yeah. I, so maybe I'll pose this question on behalf of potentially a listener. As I'm reading scripture, how do I know what is literal and what is hypothetical? Because there's some things that someone might say, oh, it's just hypothetical or it's circumstantial and it doesn't apply today. And then there's some people that say, no, it's, this is literal. This is to this day. Mm -hmm. How as a believer just who's never been to Bible college, who's never studied biblical hermeneutic, how can I properly interpret the scriptures? The first thing I want to say is this, especially in my ministry context, I often see other brothers and sisters in Christ who hold to the young earth creation view of things. They take the first 11 chapters of Genesis very literally or literalistically and their concern is that if you start uh, taking things metaphorically, then where does it stop is often the question I get. Mm. Where does it stop? They're, they're concerned about the slippery slope. Which is fair. Which is fair. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's a valid concern because the fact of the matter is we have seen that sort of approach go awry. So, for example, Rudolf Bultmann, who was one of the top Bible scholars um, in, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, he actually denied, because of his bias against anything that's supernatural, bias against miracles and those kinds of things, he actually denied the the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And he tried to me- make it a metaphor. So we have seen that sort of a thing. So there's a valid concern there. Let me just pause you real quick there, Steve. This was my point with regards to deconstructing mm-hmm. or reductionism that has this underlying question that you just that you began to identify with Boltman. And that is mm-hmm. what is the commitment? What 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 are the ideas and ideologies that are driving uh that for example deconstruction or or the reductionism such as there can be no such thing as supernatural because now if that's the commitment that's driving yeah. the hermeneutic well that's going to impact drastically you know how you're going to read the scriptures mm. yeah and in fact deconstruction taken as an end in itself becomes self-refuting because you have to deconstruct your own deconstructionism. (laughs) You have to be skeptical about your own skepticism, right? Because if deconstruction in and of itself is good, then you have to deconstruct everything. And so so we have seen bad examples of that. And and so what I try to tell people is, listen, uh, you have to know why it is that you're taking something as metaphorical, Mm -hmm. right? So for those Christians who take the first 11 chapters, or especially the first three chapters, uh, the creation account and the fall, those kinds of things, in a metaphorical way, for one, to take something metaphorical doesn't m- mean to deny its truth, right? Because meta- every metaphor has a literal point of reference. So when Jesus says, I am the door, doesn't mean he's made of wood that you can knock on, but it does mean that he's a real door, mm-hmm. right, uh, to the kingdom of God. Uh, so so th- that's one thing. But secondly, why are you taking that as metaphor? So some people would say that, you know, given the genre of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, we can take this to mean so if they're correct in their view of the genre of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there is a reason that you're applying that kind of way of interpretation, that hermeneutic on the creation account, which shouldn't then affect, say, what Luke wrote about Jesus' resurrection. Because Luke is very clear that he is giving a uh, an orderly historical account of Jesus' life, right? And, and so we know what the genre is there. And so then whatever you do with... Um, Genesis shouldn't affect that hermeneutic shouldn't affect what Luke is doing so on and so forth. Well, so perhaps it's possible then that some of that, um, the, some of the reason that people will rely on something as more literal or metaphorical is quite, can be actually from a selfish place of, you know, I don't want to, I want to justify my means. I want to justify my thought process and mm. I don't want to change. Therefore, I take it metaphorical or therefore I take this literally. Why? Because I, this is what I believe and I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, and I, 
I, I, you know, even as I say that, I'm like, man, have, have I done that in my my own walk? You know, have I done that in my my own life? Because you you know, you can think about different times that a pastor or a leader has challenged you in in something, and and this kind of leads to the my my next point of like this unlearning of things that were presented to me as doctrinal or you know salvific, but were actually just that person's personal convictions. I think there's a fine line there, but it's hard. I think it's hard to walk that sometimes. Wouldn't you guys agree? Oh, it's, I think it's really hard to walk that. It's interesting. I spoke at a conference just recently to a bunch of homeschooling parents. Of course, it was it was a virtual conference. And one of the things that I was talking, I was talking about five best practices with regards to using apologetics in, in your teaching. At any rate, one this was one of the the things I warned the parents about, and I think it's something that in general we need to be cautious of, is we tend to have our theological pony, if you will, that we enjoy riding, Mm. Uh, or we have our philosophical or historical or whatever it might be. And every chance we get, we want to, whether it be an appropriate time to saddle that horse or not, (laughs) we're going to saddle that horse and we are going to ride it around. Yes. And and that and that has a lot more to say about what's going on in your own heart and mind than it does the context of the conversation. It's true. It's very true. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, along those lines, that's where there is this level of natural deconstruction that happens or a need for it. Because, as you're, yeah, as you're saying that, it's, it's sometimes part of that deconstruction is more or less how we present our belief than it is what we, you know, directly would say, this is an absolute for me. If I could give an example, perhaps it would be, we're in a pandemic, so gathering, right? The scripture very clearly says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. But where my um, perception of that can shift is when people are like, well, do I really need to gather? Do what, do it, does that mean I need to gather in a church? Like I have a group of friends that all love Jesus. We talk about God all the time. Why do I need to be part of a church to, are those not the gathering of the saints? And they'll, you know, pulling scripture out. Of, it's like where two or more are gathered, there I am also. So if God is in the midst of us and we are the new, we are the ecclesia, you know, this is, and those are some of the arguments that come up for people to, in my opinion, justify not being a part of a local body. But I, I would argue that that has more to do with accountability than it does the actual construct of being in church. Well, that it's interesting because I had my own process of deconstruction around that exact passage that you're talking about mm. in Hebrews, um, because I'd never really noticed this before. But what it says there is, do not neglect the gathering of the saints, as is the habit of some. So the point that the writer of Hebrew is getting at, the problem that he's trying to deal with here, he's not trying to give you... Um, any sort of instructions on how often you gather, you know, with how many people or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What he is warning against is neglecting, habitually neglecting yeah. the gathering of the saints. I don't know, maybe out of sloth, right? Yep. Maybe because you want to sleep in on Sunday or that's the issue, right? So it's not, so I, I know a lot of people want to use that as the justification of, therefore, we need to gather every Sunday, no matter what the government says. Um, I, I think it's missing the point. And this is not something that I would have noticed um, if this 
whole pandemic thing hadn't hit, right? And so it forced me to look at the scripture a little bit more carefully that way. And there was a bit of deconstruction that happened. And what I got reconstructed out of that is, well, this is what what I see the author of Hebrews saying, don't neglect it mm-hmm. habitually. An important thing to be considering when you're reading the Bible as you're interpreting scripture is you know what is what is the author seeking to communicate uh, whenever whenever we read anything you know that that's ultimately what we're attempting to do we want to know what is the meaning what is being communicated and so one of the things that i find problematic is that a lot of people when they read the bible will read it in a way that they won't read other books or genres mm-hmm as was mentioned, and people tend to have an idea of the Bible as a magic book, which is interesting because there's a lot of other religions that that is, in fact, how they view their their holy books. They they view their, their holy books more uh, as, as magic than as meaning. And that's really significant, by the way, when it comes to Christianity. Christianity does not believe that the sound, for example, if you were to read the Bible in a public setting, Christianity does not believe that the sounds of the words are are magical or that the sounds of the words, you know, are able to produce some sort of effect. Christianity believes that it's the meaning of the words, what they're seeking to communicate, that that is where the power is. The power is mm-hmm. not in the, the enunciation mm-hmm. of those words. The power is in the meaning of those words. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why Christianity, it's so important to understand what is the meaning of that passage. But that means then to, to read the Bible and to interpret the Bible correctly, you you need to check what's going on in, in your own heart, and what sorts of biases are perhaps keeping you from seeking to, to do that and to do it in a way that is, uh, is, is fair, you know, to, to the author's intent in that particular passage or book. Mm-hmm. And I want to put that side by side with deconstructionism. Right, because in some forms of postmodernism, what they'll say is texts have no meaning. Right, that you use it, it's called reader response theory. Right, as the reader, you give it, give whatever you're reading its meaning. Uh, it, it's kind of an extreme form of subjectivism in that way, uh, that that you can just read whatever meaning into it. But we know we don't live like that. Right, if right. I send a note to Andy saying, "Hey, Andy," um, you know, like I, I was actually really upset with something you said during our podcast this week, so on and so forth. And I send that note to Andy. Andy can't take that and go, oh, I'm glad you re- really like enjoyed the podcast session and agreed <laughs> with absolutely everything that I said, right? right? You, he can't just read whatever meaning that he wants into what I said. I give it its objective meaning, intended meaning, and he... Insofar as he can get at my intent, he reads it correctly. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a slippery slope to just, well, I'm just going to interpret it how I interpret it. And it's like, well, no, because that, that actually takes away the sovereignty of Scripture and puts it in your hands. And exactly. this is where this is where abuse happens. This is where manipulation happens within the church. And, this, and that's one of the reasons— 
um, I, I think in this topic is, is dear to me because some of the conversations I've had, one of the running themes for people going through a deconstruction was there was an abuse. Hmm. Whether it was actually physical or sexual or uh, abuse of authority that led people to this manipulation. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying because pragmatism basically says whatever works, right? It's yeah, less yeah, that's what I'm whatever getting at. works is true. Um, but I mean, commonsensically, we know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever works doesn't necessarily equal whatever you know, that that is true, right? So, but here's the problem, right? If you don't believe that you can get at the author's meaning, author's intent, right? Then you you're prone to just taking whatever piece of scripture and you want to make it work, and and I want to add for you. Right, you want to make mm-hmm. it work yeah. for you, and so that's why so often we see people who lean in a certain way theologically. Um, you know, whether you're conservative or liberal, they they tend to metaphorize, if that's even a word. I guess it is now. I've used it. <laughs> um, and they tend to metaphorize certain passages or, or relativize certain passages. Oh, that that was a cultural conditioning kind of a thing. Um, but I mean, both sides do it, right? They just do it in different places. This gets back to that underlying aspect that we've been that we've been coming circling back to with regards to what's what's the commitment, what what's going on in your heart that's yeah. that's directing this this whole project. And, and uh, th- that's what I see that you're getting at here, Troy, is that if somebody's hurt, if somebody's gone through suffering, and they're perhaps they're angry with God or they're frustrated with God, see, we like to be in charge. We like to have control. And then it, it makes it way more palatable for us than to take the Bible and to interpret it in a way that fits with what I want to be the case. In, instead of letting the Bible be the Bible and the meaning of the Bible being what it is, and that I need to conform to it instead of it conforming to me. This, this is where, you know, th- this, is, this is where I think the real heart of humanity is, is found, or the depravity thereof, where, you know, our, in our brokenness, we tend to want to break relationship, not mend relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the work of the Holy Spirit that needs to happen in us. Where uh, notice that I'm kind of I'm, what I'm trying to do is circle back to that reconstruct, where mm-hmm. or reconcile, right? That yeah. that my goal in coming to the Scripture is to reconcile between myself and God and myself and people that I'm being constructed by the scripture and not that I'm deconstructing it to fit into my desires or my preconceived notions sort of saying, especially given what you're talking about there, maybe that's Mm -hmm. being directed by my, my frustration or the, the suffering or challenges that I've gone through. As we come to a close, I just want to leave our listeners, especially uh, any of those who may be going through the process of a deconstruction for reconstruction themselves. Um, I want to leave them with this passage of scripture from Psalms 139, starting at one down to six. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know, when I sit down or stand up, you know, my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. 
You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I pray that that passage is an encouragement. That though you may not feel like you have got your feet set or there is this level of confusion, but you're still chasing the Lord, just know that he knows that and he knows you. And as you lean closer to him, as you open up your word and continue to read and study and spend time with him, he will bring clarity to confusion. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's podcast. We pray you were challenged and encouraged. As always, make sure to like and subscribe to the AC podcast on your favorite streaming platform and hit us up on social media. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. If anything specifically resonated with you today, please feel free to reach out to our email at info at apologeticscanada.com. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to offer support in any way, shape or form that we can. Until next time, as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.